Hey, I'm Misty Winkler, and I'm here with Episode 9 of the Simply Convivial Audio Blog. This is the Simply Convivial Audio Blog, short but meaty focus sessions to help you keep your head in the game as a homeschool mom. Convivial, if broken down to the Latin parts, means with life. And that's what we want for our homeschools, isn't it? Convivial is about the atmosphere of our homes and homeschools. It points us to a life lived abundantly, bursting at the seams, with all the mess and recovery that that entails. Simply, on the other hand, reminds us to put first things first and not complicate living or learning. Just do it together. Simply Convivial. We claim the label classical for our homeschool because all the great pre-modern educators remind us that education is about growing in wisdom, not increasing our earning potential. Those reminders about how to grow in wisdom have been remarkably consistent until Darwinism captured the West's imagination. Read widely, discuss, and do the right thing. We all want some variation on that theme, whatever label we choose. So let's gear up and keep our priorities straight. Let's do it. In Season 2, I'm going through an old series based off my first reading of the teaching classic, The Seven Laws of Teaching by John Milton Gregory. I called this series The Seven Laws of Teaching Your Own and worked through adapting his classroom examples to homeschool examples, focusing on the principles that apply to learning across the board. You can visit simplyconvivial.com audio to download a summary sheet of The Seven Laws and find each episode as they're released, as well as the original series. And now, the meat. The Seven Laws of Teaching Your Own, Law 3, The Law of the Language. The Seven Laws of Teaching by John Milton Gregory explain not only how to teach, but even more importantly, how people learn. We must be students of learning if we want to be effective homeschooling moms. Unless we understand the work we're about day in and day out, we will be less fruitful than we could be. Gregory writes, the world's best work in the schools as in the shops is done by the calm, steady, and persistent efforts of skilled workmen who know how to keep their tools sharp and to make every effort reach its mark. Let's put in the time and energy to know our tools and use them well. The Law of the Language The language used in teaching must be common to teacher and learner, understood by both, with the same meaning to both. Gregory speaks in this chapter of language as a vehicle of instruction, an instrument of learning, and a storehouse of knowledge. He means that through common language we communicate experience. By speaking, we appropriate what we perceive, and without adequate words, we cannot think through ideas clearly, and that what we know, we will name. Beware, he warns, of words with multiple meanings or homophones. Children easily pick up confused meanings, unaware that their perception is inaccurate. It is what the student interprets in his mind, not what the teacher intends, that matters. Quote, not what the speaker expresses from his own mind, but what the hearer understands and reproduces in his mind, measures the communicating power of the language used. Remember that children do not yet have nuanced and weighty vocabularies. Quote, Men's words are like ships laden with the riches of every shore of knowledge which their owner has visited, while the words of the child 
are but toy boats on which are loaded the simple notions he has picked up from his brief experience. Thus he writes, It is as necessary for the teacher fully to understand the child as for the child to understand the teacher. Oftentimes a pupil will load ordinary words with some strange, false, or distorted meanings, and the mistakes may remain uncorrected for years. Children are often compelled by their very poverty of speech to use words with other than their correct meanings. The teacher must learn the needs of the pupils from his words. So, we ought to choose our words carefully when we are teaching. There is a place for broadening and deepening the child's vocabulary through exposure, but a lesson is not that place. Listen to the child's words as well, correcting and honing his speech gently and gradually. The very process of thinking is fitting an idea into words. We master truth by expressing it, so the pupil himself should do much of the talking. Lecture should be given a small place in instruction. In doing the talking himself, through narration or discussion, the child must make the knowledge his own by putting words to thoughts, and through his speech the teacher sees what the child sees, and knows where to lead him and what correction and strengthening he needs. Moreover, language gives us the very categories we use for thinking and perceiving. The language at the student's disposal is no small matter. One cannot think about something one does not have the words for. Giving children words is a vital part of teaching. Gregory writes, The full and clear statement of a problem is often the best part of solving it. Ideas rise before us like the confused mass of objects in a new landscape. To put them into clear and correct words and sentences is to make the landscape familiar. Abstract words, however, are not the only types of language possible. The teacher should not forego communicating through nature, through concrete experience, through stories, and through pictures. All of these are tools and resources to be used for the development of ideas, concepts, thinking, and experience in the student's own mind. We must carefully choose our words. We must gently correct our children's words. We must purposefully expand our own and our children's vocabularies. What struck me most was Gregory's emphasis that the student should be doing more of the talking than the teacher. That means that our job is less presentation and more listening. This is both relieving and also wearying. This again calls us to attention as teachers. Gregory does not use the term narration, but it so neatly fits all that he requires of language as an instrument that we would do well to utilize it to its full potential. And perhaps thinking of narration merely in terms of the student speaking about what he is learning might take some of the mystery out of the term narration. Get the student to talk about what he observed or read or thought, and you will see what he knows. Then you will know better how to proceed. The focus on language, of course, transcends school time and is as applicable in discipline, in training, and in casual conversation at any point that you might possibly want your child to understand what you are saying. And application of the law of language. Here are five rules that Gregory gives to apply this principle to teaching, followed by a brief application that I am making to our homeschools. First, observe the language of the children to learn what they know and what they need. And there's that old attention thing again. We must pay attention to what they're saying and then shape what we say according to their needs. Second, require full and complete narrations after lessons. 
This thought will be developed still further in later laws that he gives. But if the student should be doing most of the talking, then certainly he should be narrating. Third, express yourself carefully to ensure that you are understood. It is also good to encourage our children to freely ask if they do not understand a word. We can foster this by our patient explanations or restatements as we go. Fourth, use simple and few words, short sentences, repeat yourself with different language, use illustrations and objects. Remember, our point is not to go on and through as fast as possible, but to help the child reach understanding. Fifth, encourage the student to talk freely so you may come to know and correct their knowledge and vocabulary. We must remember that finding out an error is an opportunity, not a failure. Violations of the law of the language. First, unnecessary words add to the child's work and increase the possibility for misunderstanding. We should seek to be brief and clear. Second, asking the child if he understands is futile, for he is too easily deceived about his own understanding often mistaking a glimmer of understanding for full and complete comprehension. Children might also simply desire to please us by professing to understand, and they may refuse to ask for explanations out of fear or shame. Instead of asking if our children understand, we should have them retell in their own words. Third, there are still many honest teachers who try hard to make the lesson clear and then think that their duty is done, that if the children do not understand, it must be either from willful inattention or hopeless stupidity. These teachers do not suspect that they may have used words which had no meaning for the class or into which the children read a wrong meaning. We must be willing to accept the fault if our children don't understand and also be willing to change. Fourth, not seeking a clear statement in return from the student means that you have no test of your success. Nor does the student gain personal use of the words or concepts delivered to his ears until he uses them with his own mind and mouth. We simply must require narrations of our students if we want them to learn. Gregory concludes, It has often been found that one of the greatest obstacles to the general enlightenment of people lies in their lack of the knowledge through which they may be addressed. If we would teach children successfully, we must widen and deepen this channel of communication between them and ourselves. Let us not only use clear language ourselves, but also require it of our kids. Then connection can happen. And now it's time for the simple sanity saver, the homeschool audit. A homeschool audit is particularly helpful to do at the end of a school year, but you can also adjust it for the end of a term to evaluate progress and determine the best adjustments to make. Auditing your year or your term is about noticing the progress that has been made. In the midst of the day-to-day, -day, we often don't see the trends because they're small changes that can be almost imperceptible at times. Taking a little time out now and then to assess each child's progress in the important areas and the interests outside of your own school plan helps us see the big picture and realize that there is so much learning happening all the time. Learning is not limited to progress in the number of math lessons or history chapters accomplished. 
And if you notice an essential area that a child is particularly resistant to, looking at the overall arc of their progress and their interests might give you insight into how to address the resistance for that particular child. To work through your own homeschool audit with all the prompts and some practical processing and application ideas, go to simplyconvivial.com slash audio for the free homeschool audit guide. Thank you for listening to the Simply Convivial audio blog. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. This helps the iTunes algorithm know that it should share it with others looking for homeschool inspiration. And if you haven't already, head on over to simplyconvivial.com slash audio for links to the latest episodes, the homeschool audit download, and to sign up to get the show notes by email every week. Remember, education is repentance. Repent, rejoice, repeat. Repeat.